Man, I can't even make it 30 seconds without laughing. That not that nice? Uh. You just... <laughs> in the face of the universe, you stare into the abyss and you just go, ah <laughs> Yeah, basically. Uh, uh, you know, I'll tell you a quick little story. And it's not a very good one, but I'll just tell it anyway. One time when I was doing my paleontology stuff back in the day, we were uh, opening up this big exhibit and we went to this guy who was an amateur paleobotanist. And I, I can never remember his name, unfortunately, but he had like, you know, scientific names of plants, paleontologically, you know, fossil plants or whatever named after him and stuff like that. So he was, you know, he'd done quite a bit of work as an amateur he also had done all these other things, these crazy things in his life. You know, he worked in an Indian reservation for probably the bulk of his career where he was a music teacher, a whole host of other interesting things. And when we caught up to him, he was, you know, he had all these uh, fossil plants that we were going to collect and bring to display on the exhibit because he'd just been doing it forever. And the paleobotanist I was working with at the time, she knew that he had good stuff and she knew him well enough. But this guy's like 93 or whatever at this point. And he had this big long life. I I don't even know if maybe if even he'd survived beyond some of his children potentially, you know. We're just sitting there talking and he was talking about, you know, what he was doing now in his life. And he would just go down to the cafe and paint the locals and that was like his life now and his paintings were good and i was like wow this guy's like he's achieved many things being in the middle of nowhere but he's done a lot of really cool stuff and i don't remember how it got mentioned but something about you know create how crazy life can be or whatever and his response while he was taking a sip of his tea uh sitting in his little rocking chair you know <clears throat> I kind of think maybe it was on the porch. You know, it was typical, like, out west kind of thing. His response was, you're either laughing or crying, you know? And I'm thinking, yeah. okay, this guy is, like, in his 90s. He's like, you can do this or that. And and I, you know, after all those years, if that's what it comes down to, then I guess I'd rather laugh in the face of the abyss. Why? How is it a choice? A good question. Or is it? Or you're saying I don't know. You're you, rather in the sense of I'm glad that I am the way I am, or whatever, because I think I have a tendency to be the crier, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd rather not. Also, I'd rather laugh too, but I'm not doing it. Sometimes I am. I mean, I guess I suppose I laugh. I cry too. My wife would probably be the laugher. She would probably laugh really hard. I mean, because there's been times when we were in really bad parts of town. And <laughs> this teenager was like kind of acting as if he was waiting for the bus. This was, I think, in Boston. Anyway, and then he suddenly just like shot out at us and he was like, you guys have any you know, money so I can buy smokes or something like that? I don't know what it was. He maybe wanted us to go buy him cigarettes and beer. We just like came out of him and he was just like, Rah! you know, he's like I don't know, 13 or 14. And she and he was not I mean, he was 14 year old, but I was like. He was kind of a sort of rough looking 14 year old, you know, maybe looking at some juvie time sometime or whatever. And she just fucking laughed right in his face, like, 
<laughs> like huge laughter. And I was like, holy crap, baby. <laughs> no, you don't laugh at these people like this. Why anyway. would you? What's, I don't get it. Just because of the whole, like the act of pretending. I think she it, saw him. She saw him for what he was, which is a stupid pimply faced kid. And she just found it hilarious and absurd. Perfect transition. <laughs> I'm you... Ryan. Oh, I'm Harland. <laughs> this is the Doddler's Philosophy Podcast of Indeterminate Duration. <laughs> yeah. You sent me an article to read to today, yesterday something, by Thomas Nagel, one of our one of my buddies from Philosophy of Mind and <laughs> Epistemology. Just simply titled The Absurd, and I thought that sounds like a great topic. Good suggestion. Let's do a podcast about it. And one of the definitions that he used in here sounds like what you were describing, right? Is that what you were about to talk about? Yeah, well, go ahead. If not, (laughs) Nagel writes, In ordinary life, a situation is absurd when it includes a conspicuous discrepancy between pretension and reality. Such as if someone gives a complicated speech in support of a motion that has already been passed, or a notorious criminal is made president of a major philanthropic foundation. Or, as you are being knighted, your pants fell down. (laughs) That's a good one. I I laughed at that And I'm wondering uh, if that's... If that's what you're saying, your wife's response sort of was that there's a that she was perceiving it as a conspicuous discrepancy between what this person's pretensions or aspirations were and the way she perceived the situation to really be. Yeah, for sure. I think she definitely was that was yeah. Um and just I mean in a way though it was like it, we were just asking for something absurd to come along <laughs> at that point, just because uh, it, it was just one of those situations. Um, oh, youth. Anyway, our own youth as well, by the way. But, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't have much else to add to that. So, uh, what do you want to talk about the absurd? Well, I mean, in what... I want to just quickly kind of give some credit to where it's due. Uh, You know, when you go on Twitter, um, half the time uh, it's people calling each other like, you know, names and, and, and behaving in a way that's actually quite surprising. Sometimes I'm like, huh, that's, it's not why I come on to Twitter to see some, someone who I thought would be of, have the maturity, you know, to not, you know, to withhold from being like, well, you're an idiot, you know, or something childish like that. But that happens more often than I would personally like to encounter. And sometimes that makes me kind of want to say like, well, you know, fuck this shit. But then 
the reason why I was intrigued by Twitter um, was because I just thought, well, what if there's all these people who are into the same kind of stuff I'm into? Maybe they'll be able to, you know, just put out there in a collective sense a whole lot of information and cool things to learn. And this paper I got from one of those types of people, and of course now the goddamn guy, I can't find him. We, we I don't know, he, I think he's an evolutionary psychologist. I think his last name is like Stephen Williams or something, and he's got a, I don't know, another name. This is why you've come to the toddlers, to find out very unspecific <laughs> information. I don't know. Um I'll keep looking for him so I can just blurt it out at some point. But anyway, he put up a post um, about, you know, that new black hole picture that has been going around. I don't know if you've noticed on the World Wide Web. And um, but then he had like a quick little sort of response to even that uh, in his own, like a sort of his own reply. And in that he's he quoted one of the passages, one of the many things said in this article, and he, of course, included the PDF, which was nice. And so I just thought it was good because he, he was using the very beginning of the paper where Thomas Nagel talks about, like, you know, the feeling of being insignificant, you know, in the universe and all that kind of stuff and how our lives don't matter and the basic question then is something along the lines of is life you know in life in the big sense or whatever uh meaningless you know uh is there any meaning in life so the sort of the the, the existentialist stuff about very much um, yes. does it mean anything or is it significant or where do i where am I to get my importance or value or, you know, just the why question. Why do yeah. anything? Exactly. And uh, I think that what Thomas Nagel was trying to get at was at the heart of some of these kinds of questions or statements that people make about being tiny specks in an infinite vastness of the universe kind of thing is that is a weird paradox in that on the one hand we have the capacity to somehow recognize in certain moments when you're being knighted and your pants fall down that it really is kind of everything we do is kind of pointless in a way and yet we still wake up in the goddamn morning and get to it again you know like we still do these things we don't just sit there, stop eating, stop sleeping, stop everything, and just die. You know what I mean? Like, we don't lose this intense amount of drive. Most of us, most of the time. Most of us, most of the time. I think that probably Um, some people, I mean, I don't know which comes first, whether it's some sort of physiological, biochemical depression that then gets channeled into the mimetic form of a sort of philosophical existentialism and then the suicide there follows. Or if anyone has ever been driven to um, either actively end everything or sort of passively give up on everything until they die through 
a purely philosophical or rational path. I don't know if that's ever happened. Mm. I don't know. I I do like the idea, though, that he mentions at some point, maybe it's further down towards closer to the end, where he talks about, a, you know, a mouse <laughs> doing its stuff, whatever a mouse does. Doesn't ever have the, the thought like, oh, wow, this is totally pointless. It doesn't matter, you know, that I go and get the food or the cheese or whatever and then run away from the cat. You know, they never have that. So they just keep on doing what they're doing. And there being nearly 8 billion of us on the planet, even though, I mean, I don't know what the percentages of people who commit suicide for existential reasons, not just because they're depressed and there's some kind of chemical imbalance or something in their brains. But like, you know, I mean, it's it's got to be a small number, you know, of the 8 billion people that are here on this planet. And so... Like the notion but that oh gosh, most yeah, of the eight billion people are basically mice, are they not? And they also never have the thoughts in the first place. Sheeple. But some of them probably do have thoughts if they live long enough that might throw egg on their face or their plans. You know, th- throw a monkey. You know, or a monkey a wrench. <laughs> throw a monkey, a monkey in the wrench. Yeah. give a monkey a wrench. I don't fucking know. Um, That people, for instance, may experience, you know, a sudden death of a loved one or something like that. And that may make, you know, their lives go into a, at least a momentary tailspin where they might, you know, and that, you know, people do die kind of suddenly sometimes or whatever. There's enough little things that enough people, they live long enough, could, you know, experience the absurdity of what's going on, they may shake it and then go back to grazing in their bovinaceous fields or whatever. But nonetheless, there's likely to be things that happen, and yet people do kind of keep going. I I think that's, I mean, this could be a, a, a nice bone of contention for the night or whatever, but I do think that people probably do experience fairly regularly uh the the kind of the what was it the the tension or whatever between the their own personal sense of purpose and meaning and the sense that you know it is perhaps meaningless that ultimately that you will not be of any importance you know a million years from now and I would say that maybe it's kind of like, well, a single skin cell on your right toe, you know, it before it even has a chance to divide, might uh, slough off in your, you know, shoe or whatever in the morning when you're getting up or something like that. And its role with respect to the collective of all the cells in your body is kind of meaningless. You know, it doesn't do anything. And that that's kind of the, you know, people might experience that to some extent, that the universe would be so callous as to just simply say, remove somebody at random, seemingly. A lot of this, of course, I would say just before I sign off for the moment, is I think it's a very much an epistemological thing 
you know, you're trying to grapple with something maybe ontological, but really it's just there's a lot of missing information. And I think our brains try and triangulate on a solution. And sometimes maybe that solution is up, oh, everything's meaningless <laughs> or whatever. Like, uh, that's the only way you can kind of grapple with something that's occurred. Nagel talks in the article, you know, about the mouse on the one hand and how, as far as we know, we have no reason to suspect that the mice have these Sisyphean depressions. But, and then he, another example he used is, it's not absurd, or it's not considered absurd by most people, that the moon just goes around and around and around and around and around and around, you know. If anything's going to be absurd, it would be the, if we personify it, the life of something like the moon, right? Just uh, don't give it any agency, but the ability to contemplate its plight. And you've just got this thing on this track, and it's going in orbit, and it doesn't have any choices, and oh, here I go again. <laughs> it might feel that that was absurd. Since we don't attribute to it agency and personality, then we don't think that the orbit of celestial objects is absurd. But we might think that various human activities are absurd. And I just think there's many ways to deflate this kind of thinking. Wittgensteinian being one of the most preeminent, what he called the, whatever it was, the pharmacological approach or something, that there's these, some philosophical musings are best viewed as a disease that need to just be cured rather than answered or resolved. (laughs) You need to learn how not to do that. Your system is not operating properly. You've got a fever you have an existential fever, and you need some medication. And then one of the ways that I often... That would kind of be the umbrella t- strategy. And then the one I typically use is this General Semantics, Korzybski, and uh, P.W. Bridgman-esque operational scientistic attitude of, okay, well, until there is a significometer and you can show me some or produce it in a test or tell me what it means for something to be meaningless or absurd or any of these emotional meme virus things that we have become infected with and have a tendency to spout about. It's not that life is meaningless or life is not meaningless. Life has meaning. Instead, it's both of those propositions, sentences, are themselves meaningless, not in the existential sense, but in the semantic sense. It does not have any semantic content to say life is meaningless, because meaningless is not defined. To say life is absurd, it's only interpretable by me as poetry or as a, a uh, what do they call them uh 
you stub your toe and you exclaim. Uh, uh, it's just an emotional response and uh, an ouch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have it really bad. Like, I think I'm infected by this sickness. And I often consider things absurd and let it bother me. But then when you put the philosopher's hat on, when I think about it or try to rationalize it, I don't think there's anything there. I think this is a good example of kind of taking, mixing a couple of, I guess it's not really a mixed metaphor, but it's something similar. A convergence of metaphors when they talk about memes as mind viruses and then viruses being epidemiologically these uh, perturbations of the proper function of the health. Didn't we just talk about health last time? So this uh, existential angst and absurdity stuff is unhealthy meme infection. Hmm. I um I'm just thinking about the idea that there's some kind of like psychological immune system or something like that and there's a lot of I don't know psychic inflammation you know or whatever when yeah. someone encounters this notion of existential angst or what have you about you know whatever the game it is that they're playing with respect to meaning and and semantics etc um and that essentially one is maybe caught then in this sort of i don't know i don't know if this is a this is the right idea but some sort of homeostatic response you know a feedback loop and you just kind of got to get back to that place where you can operate as well as you possibly can you know um and like you know maybe the wittgensteinian view would be like yeah you got to take that car into the shop you know or Mm -hmm. uh, that that computer needs an update (laughs) um because things aren't working right and they need to go back to that working order or whatever uh I think people, though, see that, you know, they're under the, you know, regardless of, like, talking about saying um, the existential dilemma about the meaning of life is a semantically meaningless phrase, um, I think what people do see it as, though, is is sort of a... Um, potential peering into uh, uh, I don't know, maybe it's that they, they they take on that kind of truth, reality kind of approach and that there's a sort of implicit idea and in some cases explicit idea where there's a, you know, tension between um, aspiration and quote-unquote reality. So 
the idea being that the, we are talking about somehow we're peering into the way things actually are. And we, in our lives, in our society, in our semantics, are in the cloud of confusion. And we think we have an idea, but every once in a while we, we, we see the clouds part and we, oh, we see that blue sky and we're like, holy fuck, what's that? And then it goes back to, you know clouds and we're chicken little and we're you know, skies falling and everyone's like calm the fuck down so there's another approach i guess i can see it also maybe being described as that every once in a while we actually catch a glimpse of something that we weren't supposed to kind of like the truman show or whatever that dissonance is there and we can say hey it's semantically meaningless just relax and, you know, but people are trying to put together the tension between what it is that they've been operating as and then something completely different. In a way, this is, must be happening to people all the time who are putting themselves out there. Like when people go to school, you know, and like, well, my pastor says evolution's bullshit, you know, or whatever. And like, but why are you taking biology? Well, I want to be a doctor, you know, or whatever. Um, you know, these are kinds of, I don't know. I just said a whole bunch of stuff. There's no meaning to it. Just take it. <laughs> what it may, Oh, yeah. Most things you say are, you know. You're used <laughs> to this. Mm-hmm. What it made me think was to make an analogy to the Hofstetter thing and say that what's happening here is that people are making it or trying to make an analogy. It is failing and then they freak out. Yeah. So the way that... Most things in people's lives work, and I'll just take an absurd example of enjoying a spoonful of your uh, clam chowder. When you're doing something, there's a point. Well, you, know, you dip the spoon in and you begin to lift it up, but as it's traversing between the bowl and your face, you might have an existential spasm and say what's the point why am i even lifting this spoon what is what is the what is happening what's the meaning of this but there's an answer in that case the point is i'm using a tool to deliver some food from here to there and there's a pleasure at the end of it and a nutrition and so there's an answer to all of these questions if you do stop to ask so then because well why close the door well, so I can have safety and privacy. Why do why drive down the road so I can get to Portland? What a, they most of these questions do have answers. So we make the assumption, the analogy. Well, it should work everywhere, but if you put certain things on the left of the analogy and then look on the right, you just get an error message. <laughs> well, what's the point of living? Or whatever. What's the point of my life? And those, when you look there and then try to find the answer to that question, you can't. And only if you are very highly convinced that there ought to be something on the right side of the analogy every time. That this has to be an algorithm without fail. That then when you get a blank or an error delivered back to you you flip your shit well that's just a mistake you're just you input 
into the box something the parameters don't accept. And they're like, you gave me a floating point and I only deal with scalars or whatever. You know, that's that's all that's happening. Does any of that make sense? It does. It also makes me wonder why, you know, some ideas out there are maybe too abstract for people to really be able to understand. And so there's often quite a bit of, say, misunderstanding around the ideas, like, say, I don't know, uh, Schrodinger's cat or something like that, where people in the end are like, that's not how it is or whatever. Like there's in the quantum realm, and I was talking in the Hofstetter episode about, you know, the Feynman talking about, I'm just going to describe quantum mechanics. I'm not even going to, you know, go to analogies or anything like that because it's, it's, it won't work. So just enjoy it and find nature beautiful or whatever, or or run out of the, you know, lecture hall with your hair on fire. I don't know, you know, like, but I kind of think that that might also be another, um, you know, cognitive dissonance or is that cognitive dissonance? I'm now I'm all over the place. I think Funny. it could count as a something like that. Yeah. As some cognitive dissonance. But man, doesn't it though? Doesn't it just seem absurd? All this fucking shit that we do and have to do all the time. I think more often my absurdity allegations are targeted at human systems rather than some sort of universal or metaphysical system. Yeah. Like obviously American politics is absurd or or the the current 24-hour major news networks they are fucking absurd and like all that and that might be more arguable. But I don't I guess I don't spend too much time worrying about the point of it all. I don't <laughs> because um I'm much more into game playing, you know, like Okay, so there's no point, but we're pretending that there's this thing over here, and we gotta kick it against the top of it. And when you do that, you get a point. And uh, there's another one over there, and I don't know. You know, what I mean, it's like how else do little games get created? Well, yeah, you're you're going over here to score a point, and then you could say, well, why do I want a point? Well, so that you can have more points and then you win the game. Why do I want to win the game? It's just the whole childish right. why questions thing. Right. That doesn't terminate. But people want these algorithms to terminate. But this is an infinite loop. The why loop is infinite or whatever. You can always right. say. You can always say why. Why that or what's the point of that? And then if you have this prior premise or assumption that we need all of our programs to end at some point, and this one doesn't, then we say, to insult it, that's absurd. Life <laughs> is absurd. It's meaningless. Yeah. It's also quite arrogant, <laughs> because the position to say something is absurd, because... I guess it comes back to the sort of absolutism, you know, viewpoint on things that there are for every activity we engage in is a closed loop somehow, like that things aren't ongoing in their own right, or that they aren't all very connected and that 
you know, you could just follow one stream into another if you wanted. Um, it seems, it's funny. We say, we say <laughs> it's childish to say, keep asking why and do this infinite loop here. But then at the same time, I'm, I'm wanting to say, well, it's childish to demand that something be, you know, finite or to be closed loop. So I don't know what's childish anymore, but, um, it seems to me kind of, it just seems, uh, like unthoughtful or whatever. It seems like you need, you're hangry, you know, you gotta go eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and come back and think about it, you know, like, um, yeah. Can I really? You may. I could. I could eat. Do it. No, I, you have more to say about absurdity. Oh yeah, no. Or I anything mean, related? Not too much. I will say um, just about this paper. Uh, I, it starts off like word salad. <laughs> I thought. The oh first... yeah, section one is it was making me offended and pissed off, but then the rest of it I was okay with. Yeah, then he gets on a roll, he gets his legs under him, and I'm like, okay, well, why don't you just start this way? You yeah, know, like I like where he ended it, up. Yeah, it was fine, and he at least stated where. Like, I was worried that he wasn't gonna like because he was really kind of toggling a little between, you know, committing to anything, whether he thought, you know, think life is absurd or not. I felt like, you know, because he was, like, questioning the questioner, you know, and all that shit. And I'm just like, oh, Christ, where are you going with this? And then I'm glad that he landed somewhere, and you know. And then from there, you know, I don't know. It was... Um, I, I don't know how, if all the threads necessarily tie together in this uh, article, but I, I enjoyed it nonetheless, and I thought, yeah, I got on the Got on a good roll. Mm-hmm. 1971, it was written. <sighs> All right, well, you, do you want to end it? Is that what we're talking about here? I don't know why not. It's kind of pointless to keep talking. Why would we That's even true. continue? Why? I mean, why even come next week? Like, there's no reason what? to do any of this. It's all... It's so fucking...